So every week we have uh, worshipped with that song. And uh, as I was sitting there this morning, instead of just hopping into announcements or into a message, uh, I wanted to pause and kind of expand on that cry of, come Lord Jesus, come. And I wanted to do that in prayer. And so um, I just want to invite you, as you're seated there, if you're watching online, if you would just, wherever you are, open your hands towards God, that we might ask God to bring Jesus and everything that he's about to your life. So let's pray together. We not only sing this with you, Jesus, but we ask it of you. So God, for those who are sick right now, we say, come Lord Jesus and heal. For those who are in fear and anxiety because of everything that's going on, we say, come Lord Jesus and be their peace. For those who are hurting, we say, come Lord Jesus and be their comforter. To those who are full of questions and doubts, come Lord Jesus and be their answers and their confidant. And for all of us, Lord, we say, come be our King, our Savior, our Messiah. Be the Lord that leads us. We ask this today because we love you and trust you. So we say, Amen. Amen. Well, good morning again and Merry Christmas. Um, my name is Logan. I'm the lead pastor here at Lower Manhattan Community Church. Um, this is our last Sunday of 2021. So good riddance, 2021. <laughs> um, we will not have service next Sunday on the 26th. It's a chance to give our staff and our people the ability to take a breath, to spend time with family, and to relax before we enter into 2022. So our next Sunday service will be on January 2nd, right here at 1030, um, in person and online if the Lord wills. But it's not our last service of the year. On Friday, on Christmas Eve, we'll gather right here. We'll also be online at 4 p.m. with a Christmas Eve service. And it'll be a special service of songs and reflections uh, led by our entire team of pastors to be able to look at Christ's birth, the promises that we celebrate in Advent, and to worship together. So we'd love for you to join us. Whether you are here in the city, please come. We'll have cookies if that will draw you. Um, we'll have some form of eggnog without alcohol. I don't know why that would draw you, but go ahead and come. Um, and we'll have a good Christmas service together. So I hope you can join us. The last thing I want to tell you is uh, we sent an email this week, and if you're not on our email list and, and you are not tracking with us on that, you can just submit your email, whether that's online through the QR code, or you can see QR code here um, in the building to kind of say, this is my name and email, I want to keep you up to date. But we created a meditation video on Psalm 91, and Kara Marriott leads us beautifully through that passage encourages us with additional words beyond the scriptures to be able to meditate on the meaning of that psalm. Um, and in this season especially, as the world goes back into chaos, I encourage you to take time each day to meditate on God's word. And the intent of that is to help you know what that looks like. And so it's on our YouTube page. Um, you can turn it on and listen to it and just kind of participate in what God has for you in that. So I encourage you to do that. 
Well, today we are going to continue to celebrate Christmas with teachings of Jesus. Um, these words of Christ today, I think, are some of the most well-known and most misunderstood. Uh, the passage that I'm going to be reading for you in a moment actually has the most common phrase, and that's born again, that Christians use or that are used to describe Christians, and the most famous verse universally, which is John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Very familiar phrases, but unfortunately, they have been manipulated in ways that are unhelpful to your life and unhelpful to the world's understanding of what Jesus wants to do. And so I want to enter into this passage with some expectation that you would learn something new today, and that you would embrace it beyond its familiarity, but to say, what is God saying to me today? And so I invite you to read along with me in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows where it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you're a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted, was lifted, up, lifted up a bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. This is God's word. You must be born again. That is the bold phrase that Jesus uses with one man. And yet he is saying it to each of you today. You must be born again. And so we have to unpack what does he even mean by this? Because the phrase born again has something that has been twisted and conformed to something that we have begun to get all wrong. And it is used in political and religious research very commonly. Just this last week, the, the Pew Forum released its latest religious um, research in the New York Times highlighting that over the last 14 years, those who identify, self-identify as born-again evangelical Christians has declined by 15% in 14 years. 
There was a big dip around 2016. I don't know why. Um, Going beyond that, to try to explain what they mean by born again, they use Barna Research Group, which does a lot of research in the church, to define what they mean by born again. And they shrink it down to two statements. That you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and that he rose from the dead for you and that when you die, you will go to heaven. So if you check those two boxes, you're a born again Christian. And it goes on to just reduce this phrase into this one-time act, this one-time event. And you've probably heard other people have testimonies where it is this sensational transformation that at one moment you were living in a different way and then you believed in Jesus and therefore everything changed. And for some people, that's their story. But the majority of people, it's not this story of a one-time event. And the language of the scriptures is that born again is not a one-time event. It's an ongoing experience. That it is this language of many experiences of being born again. So the way we use it is one time, one conversion. The way the scriptures describe it is as many conversions. That it is this work of the Spirit of God regularly in our lives of causing you to experience something new with God. And here's what God has been saying to me, is that each of us have a lot of new beginnings that we experience in our lives, but it doesn't make it a rebirth. On a very just kind of everyday level, we have a new morning every day that could be a great day, it's just, but it could just be just a new beginning, a new start. Or on a Monday, it could be that you have a case of the Mondays, or it could be the start of a new week. We have coming up the new year, and we treat the new year as this chance to start over, this chance to improve our lives, this new beginning. But it doesn't mean that it's a rebirth. It doesn't mean that you're born again the way that the Scriptures speak to it. Because it speaks to this as some transformative experience that you are a different person, a better person, over time. And the fascinating thing for me as Jesus teaches this is that Jesus, who was never born or made, chose to be born in order that you and the rest of the world would be born again. That he looks at our lives and he says, I have something better, and the route towards that is rebirth. And so he wants to bring change into rebirth. And so I want us to wrestle alongside of Nicodemus with this concept. Because this religious teacher hears this, and he questions it the same way that we do. He misunderstands it the same way that we do. But if we wrestle alongside of him we will see these three movements of rebirth that have to go on in our lives to experience new beginnings as transformative, full of joy and peace and new life, not just a reset, not just a restart. And so those movements that I want to look at are resistance, risk, and receiving. Those are the three sections. Because there is a resistance to rebirth that we see in Nicodemus. And I want to look at Nicodemus, and I want to call him Nico, because I have a new friend named Nico, and I think nicknames make everything more fun. So looking at Nico, um, he is a religious leader and a Pharisee, and when we look at this passage on a surface level, it looks like he has no idea what Jesus is talking about. But that's not true. See, for us, the language of being born again may be new language. The language to Nicodemus as a religious leader in the Jewish tradition, would, it would not be new. 
The language of birth into the family of God is what he understands. That the people of Abraham have become the people of Israel, and to be God's people, you're simply born as a Jew. But then there was also a conversion element to the Jewish faith that those who were Gentiles, meaning those not of the Jewish faith, could go through a process of being born again into the family of Abraham. That they also had a baptism, that they would actually walk through water as a sign that you are no longer a Gentile, but you are choosing to walk in the new way of life, a new Jewish faith. So Nicodemus wasn't confused by what was happening. He's a great teacher. He's a great understanding of it. So when he asked this question, you know, and says like, oh, an old man has to go back into the womb, he's not missing the point. He's using an absurdity to try to force Jesus to speak plainly. See, because in, when people act mysteriously, sometimes you use absurdities, hyperbole, to cause them to go, no, 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 here's what I really mean. It's a psychological tactic. And Nicodemus, as a great teacher, knows that if he uses hyperbole, what follows can be reality in a way that people receive it. So he's trying to move Jesus into that idea. And he misses the very plain meaning of it because he thinks surely Jesus is being mysterious and Jesus is like, literally, I'm not being mysterious. Here's what it actually means. So if we break it down so that we can understand it, first, the language of birth is the language of conversion. It is new life. It is change. And for him to say that to an an adult is to say, start a new way of life. Convert. Be born. Start new. But the second word, again, is a little bit tricky. And this is where evangelical Christians in the church and outside the church have been tripped up over and over and over again. Because the language of again can mean two things. The actual word means born from above, as in God has to act to create that new life. But there's a secondary use of it, and that is, again, happening like repetitively, many conversions. And so when it, when it says again, it's meaning like again and again and again and again. And so we reduce that and have to make a choice. Which do we mean? And if we cause it to say born from above, we reduce it to a one-time act. We're like, well, surely that just means that. But the language of the scriptures beyond Jesus' teaching and the work that the Spirit is doing is one of a start and then again and again and again. It is that he converts you and that the Spirit continually converts you. It is many conversions that you have to go through. And so it's not an either or. It is both. Now there is a reality of of an initial act of God. And so it is true that you won't be born again unless you're born from above. And God has to come in and say, it's time to start over. How you have been living, what you have known about me, what you have known about life, you have to acknowledge is not the full knowledge. Start over and follow me. Begin anew. And God says that's the work of the Spirit to begin to cause you to be curious. If you've ever been curious about God, if you've ever had questions or doubts about Him, that's the Spirit going, I'm trying to stir you up to help you see you don't know fully what Jesus is about. But it's also true that after that act of the Holy Spirit, that one time that opens your mind to potentially believe in Jesus, 
that opens your mouth to be able to speak Jesus as Lord so that you would open your heart to change your life, that you will be born again and again and again and again. Because you don't just need one conversion to the Christian faith. You need many conversions to the life of Christ. As I look back over my life, I came to faith somewhere around 13, where I finally said, you can have my life. But I can also look at 17 and go, man, I got a new understanding of Jesus. I can look at 21 and go, oh my gosh, the scriptures came alive to me in a new way. I can look at 28 and go, man, the gospel is way bigger than I've ever experienced. And I can look to this last year and go, I've seen God change me just in a year. And the hope is that next Christmas, well, there's two hopes. Next Christmas that there's no COVID in Mass. But also that someone might say to me, you're aging like fine wine. <laughs> and not just because I'm full-bodied. <laughs> but that I am getting better because the Spirit is birthing something new in me again and again and again. And so I, I'm, I'm a big fan of showing my work, so I don't want to just use one passage. I want you to see what the Scriptures say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says, That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and they won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Though your physical body will waste away, it says your spirit is being renewed every day. Even if we look at the physical body, we can see that in the system, God has created this idea of change and rebirth. Your skin cells reproduce every seven days. The cells in your eyes change over every 30. There are scientific studies that most of your body cells replace themselves over seven years. Now, why don't they get better? I don't know. He says it decays. But the work of the Spirit is not like the body. Though the body over time ages, even though it can replace itself. The work of the Spirit doesn't age, it grows and enhances. There's another passage, Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, where it says, Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us, renewed, because you're learning more about Jesus. And the more you get in his presence, the more you're like, I didn't know that. Oh, I don't have to be like that anymore. I can be like Jesus instead. This language of renewal, that we don't need one conversion, we need many conversions. So if Nicodemus, Nico, isn't confused by this, why is he resistant to it? He's resistant to it for the same reason that you and I are often resistant to it. First, this is going to be a big loss for Nico if he chooses the way of Jesus over his existing life. 
You're talking about someone who has been successful in his career. He's a leader amongst the Pharisees. He has spent decade after decade establishing his reputation as a religious zealot, able to teach and expound the scriptures. And Jesus is telling him, leave that behind. Leave behind your reputation. Leave behind even potentially your family so that you now follow me in the future. And for some of us, if Jesus were to say that to you today, you would say, <laughs> I mean, you don't want me to go back into my mother's womb. <laughs> you want to change the subject. Because for many of us, we like the life that we've built. We like who we've become. We can't imagine that the loss wouldn't outweigh the gain. That if we'd have to leave behind something, that God wouldn't have something better for us. But the second reason he's resistant is often how you and I are resistant. We want to know how. Okay, you want to do something new. You're good. You, you've, I've seen you do that before. But how are you going to do it this time? Can you give me kind of a path? Is it going to be less painful than last time? Then I'll be okay. Is it going to be like way better where I get everything I've dreamed? Okay, I'm good. We want to know how. Just like Nicodemus. Tell me how. Tell me how it's going to go on. Because we would love to eliminate all risk to this life. We'd love to eliminate this idea of it's going to be risky if I follow you and have to change. We hate change. But Jesus is saying that any change that God brings is for a rebirth to a better life. And so it challenges us in our resistance to say, do we believe Jesus is better? Or do we believe he was a rabbi that taught some things that we could agree with or disagree with? This resistance is a tension that forces us to say, where do we stand on the line with Jesus? Will we let him do something new or will we force him into our old way of life? He doesn't fit in the old way of life. He only fits in the new thing he's trying to create. So resistance and risk go together. But let's look at the risk of rebirth. Because Nicodemus doesn't walk away, he presses further. How can these things be, he says. And Jesus goes on to use two metaphors. He uses the metaphor of birth, and he uses the metaphor of the wind to indicate the process by which you have to be reborn. And Nico doesn't like it the same way that we wouldn't like it. Because if you use the language of birth, he's saying you have to start over. <laughs> to use the language of rebirth, you have to start over. You have to begin again. And to use the language of wind means you can't control it. And no one wants to be told, start over and you can't control it. So to give you a little instance of the birth, just to give some examples, uh, my daughter loves animals, and she loves baby animals, because she's the cutest human on the face of the earth. But she loves to find those videos of a baby animal that's learning to walk, right? Have you seen a giraffe come out and learn to walk? Like, poor giraffes. Like, like they have these long sticks, and they're just stumbling everywhere. And when you try to do something new in your life, you're like a baby giraffe. You're stumbling. Think about first-time parents. They freak out about everything. 
And then the second one comes around, and they're like, eh, it'll be fine. Third one, we're like, I don't even know where it is. <laughs> Probably survive. But when you try to do something new, you're not good at it at first. And it requires you to face the fact that you're not perfect. It requires that you learn to have grace for yourself and for others as they attempt to do new things. You have to start over. I'm trying to do that in my life. First, I try to do it by playing soccer. I didn't grow up playing soccer. My boys are naturals at soccer. It's annoyingly amazing to watch them just be naturals with their feet. There's a Dusk Dads League, a Soccer Academy dad, Dads League that I started to be a part of. I show up one Sunday night dressed like I'm going to work out with my running shoes and relaxed. They show up in jerseys. They show up in cleats and shin guards. And I'm like, what have I gotten myself into? I'm an American, first of all, so I don't naturally get to like, go to soccer. And I stink at it. When it's like time to break up for teams, they're like, you can have Logan. They're like, no, 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 no. You can have Logan. But I've loved playing soccer, finding some cleats, finding shin cards, because, man, it hurts when someone kicks you in the shins. Learning what it is. I love Sunday nights. I play soccer. Now, that's the thing. I love starting something new, but there's also this new thing I'm starting where I'm trying to stop being conflict avoidant. Anybody else conflict avoidant? You're like, oh, it'll be fine. I'll just wait. <laughs> yeah, conflict always is eliminated by doing nothing. But I'm not good at engaging in healthy conflict. And so I stumble forward and I offend someone. Or I stumble forward and I feel hurt. But I know that God is saying, I'm trying to do a new thing in you. Because Jesus was not conflict avoidant. And Jesus has to be born into you, Logan. If you're going to be who I've called you to be. Where is God telling you to start over? Where is he saying you've avoided this new thing because you're a perfectionist or because you don't want to be the one that stumbles? Where is he calling you to start over? But the second thing he uses is the language of wind. Give up control. And this is one of the reasons I love living down here and having our church service down here is because we're right on the water and it is so windy. But the wind doesn't make any sense. One time it's blowing right in your face and then this next second it's blowing behind you. You know, anybody with an umbrella in like the, those windstorms, you're like, they're screwed. That umbrella is dead in two seconds. And you think, oh, I'll turn the umbrella this way. I'll, I'll control it. No, no controlling the wind down here. And he says, that's what the Holy Spirit is like. That it blows in, not when you're asking for it or expecting it. But it blows in when it wants and then it changes and shifts you and pushes you in directions that you may not want to go. But God wants you to go there. And so this language of rebirth is how do you start over and how do you give up control? See, because there is a greater risk than the risk of rebirth. And the greater risk is the danger to believe that you've arrived spiritually. Whether you are a believer in Jesus or not, to say, I know how the God of the universe does things and how he operates. I've figured out the formula and I'll carry it through. When God says, I am a mystery, 
I will do what I want when I want. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. And it is a deep level of arrogance to be able to say Jesus is not like this or Jesus is only like this. It is a greater risk and it leads to greater decline and death. It doesn't lead to new life when you think you figured it out. It leads to a different forms of fundamentalism. Irreligious fundamentalism, where you reject Jesus and try to say, because I've rejected him, I know how this world should operate. Or because you've embraced Jesus and you tell the world, I know how you should operate. That's a greater risk than choosing to rebirth. Choosing to let the Holy Spirit do that. So our resistance is that there's risk. But the words of Jesus are always, it's less risky with me than without me. But Jesus is honest. He recognizes that you will have to leave some things behind. You will lose. You will lose some things you treasure. You will lose some things you love. But isn't it better if you truly embrace the things you could gain? Think about it from an earthly perspective. If someone gets married, they need to leave behind singleness. The worst spouses are those who don't, believe, don't leave behind singleness. If someone is a parent, they have to reshape their entire life around this child. And the worst parents are the ones that resist that change that's coming into their lives. The best are the ones that embrace it and allow for that child to reshape who they are. See, so the same thing with Jesus. Don't accept Jesus without accepting the fact that he's going to change you. And it's going to be his agenda of change, not you. So there's resistance, there's risk. But the invitation of Jesus is just to receive rebirth. See, he says to Nico, he says, if you believe, you'll have eternal life. In fact, for all who believe, they will have eternal life. And that language of belief is be persuaded to be led by Jesus more than you're led by your knowledge, more than you're led by your doubts, more than you're led by your questions. Be led by Jesus. He's saying in your knowledge, keep your knowledge, but let your knowledge now be guided by Jesus. You have your doubts, that's fine. But let Jesus be greater than your doubts. You have your questions, come with all your questions. But let Jesus be the one that guides you towards answers, even if you may not get all of them answered. And as Nico looks at this, here's what blew me away this morning as I was meditating on the passage. Nico's already born again and he doesn't even know it. He says to Jesus, we all know you are sent from God. In fact, your miraculous signs, they evidence that. And that's when Jesus says, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of God. And so he's saying to Nico, you see me as from God? You see me as miraculous? You're already born again and you don't even know it. And I think that's true for people in here today. You're already born again and you don't even know it. You've been resistant to say Jesus is Lord, but you're already starting to follow him. You're already curious about him. 
You're already considering what it looks like to live for him. The problem with Nico is he hasn't yet accepted his new reality. He hasn't surrendered fully. And that may be your problem today as well. You haven't surrendered fully. See, this receiving of rebirth is sometimes subtle and it's sometimes sensational. It is sometimes the story of the addict that gets set free from their addiction and their lives are changed from one day to the next. But more often than not, rebirth is subtle with the work of the Spirit. That the more you get around Jesus, you're changing and you don't know it. You're becoming a more joyful, more patient, more loving person. And you have no idea. Until you look back and someone says, you're different. What happened? And you're like, I don't really know. I've just been around Jesus and his people for a while. And suddenly this work of the Spirit is coming out of me. This is a beautiful thing of rebirth. Unfortunately, it is rarely pursued. See, part of what we have to receive is that God uses interruptions to begin the process of rebirth. It's not on your timeline. It's not on your time frame. It's not that you get to choose the wedding date and therefore you're going to change after that. You don't get to choose the due date and get, you know, to get the baby to come. Like, he just breaks in when he wants. Because it doesn't always feel like rebirth when he's doing it. Because there are some rebirths that are painful and they're costly. That your life is going to be different because you've lost a loved one. That your life is going to be different because you've been given a cancer diagnosis. Your life is different because sickness has come into your life. That's a new beginning. It's not one you choose. But even in those painful new beginnings, it could be rebirth if you receive it as God is actively working even in the midst of pain. Because Jesus had to go to the cross and die to be resurrected, to be reborn. Painful yet joyful. And other times it's a joyful beginning. It is like a new child. It is like a new revelation. You experience something new of the Spirit and it's joyful. You experience a dream, a vision, a prayer over you, and you feel a sensation. Like, oh, God is doing something new. And either way, there's this invitation to receive it. And how you receive it will change everything. An earthly example is Beethoven. Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, written after he began to lose his hearing. There's debates about whether he was fully deaf or he used certain instruments. Either way, he didn't stop when one of the greatest musicians was losing his hearing, which you kind of need if you're going to compose great symphonies. But he chose a rebirth in the midst of pain. And so the question is, what new beginning is happening in your life, or do you want to happen? And will it be a new birth? It will only be a new birth if you receive it. So I do want to return to the Christmas story as we close by looking at Mary, the mother of Jesus. Think about this. Going on your way as a teenager, just trying to be faithful to the religion that you were born in, to the family you were born in, you're, about, you're engaged to be married. You have the dreams of your wedding day. Dreams of the wedding feast, of all your family coming together. And an angel shows up. 
and says, Mary, I have something new that God wants to do in your life. You're going to give birth to the Savior of the whole world. And she, like Nico, responds the same way. How is this even possible? And this is what the angel says in Luke chapter 1. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And the angel left her. Wow. When we look at Mary, I find it fascinating that that the angel says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you'll conceive. And she's like, she doesn't say about that. (laughs) Can you give me like the fine-tuned details? Because I'm sure Joseph's going to have a lot of questions. He says, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you said come true. What is God saying to you today about what he wants to birth new in you, whether you chose it or not? And how do you get to the point where you can say, I am the Lord's servant. May everything that you are saying to me come true. There's gifts for this Christmas, but I think the greatest gift is rebirth into the person of Jesus more than you are today. So let's pray that we can receive that together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that though you were never born and didn't have to be, you chose to be born by the Spirit to be resurrected by the Spirit so that we in this world would also be reborn and resurrected by the Spirit. So Spirit, I don't know what you're doing. I cannot control what you're going to do. But Spirit, come and birth in me and in each of these, your children, something new. We long for newness of life to be ours. And so Spirit, cause rebirth today. We pray this so Jesus is lifted high and all are healed. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.